Demons can sometimes use objects as conduits to achieve their desired goal. Their desired goal? Our souls, John. It wants her soul. No, no, no. Demons can't just take souls, Mia. The soul needs to be offered to the demon before it can take it. Welcome to Now Playing's The Conjuring Retrospective Series. It scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you're gonna think we're insane. Hosted by Marjorie. I'm gonna get you now. I can hear you breathing. Arnie. Arnie. It's got Arnie. And Stuart. God brought us together for a reason. This is it. This review will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. So what do we do? You should go be with Arnie. He's going to need you tonight more than ever. Today we're discussing The Nun 2, starring Tysa Farmiga, Jonas Bloque, Storm Reed, Anna Popplewell, Bonnie Ahrens, directed by Michael Chavez. This is the now playing co-host who wants none of this, Arnie. And Stuart. And Marjorie. And welcome back to The Conjuring Universe, film number nine, eight. You know, they're trying to retcon it and say The Curse of La Llorona was not actually a Conjuring film. <laughs> it wasn't. They just wanted to give that movie a box office boost. Let's face it, Conjuring movies make money. I forget how much money they make. This Nun movie from five years ago, the biggest of the whole Conjuring franchise. 360 million worldwide. Really? Yes. Yeah, it it was predicted to open between 32 and 37 million and it made over 50 million its opening weekend. That is a huge number. It was the first film to dethrone crazy rich Asians, which really drives home how old that first nun movie is. <laughs> I think we say this thanks to COVID about all the sequels, but mm. can you believe it's been 5 years since the nun? I had to go back. I mean, I couldn't remember that first Nun movie. I remembered more about Conjuring 2, and so I went back and I watched both. I watched Conjuring 2 to see the introduction of Valak, and then, yeah, I went back to that Nun movie, and it was like seeing it for the first time. I had forgotten so much about the plot and, and what happened in it. I rewatched Nun 1. I felt like I've seen Conjuring 2 enough. You know, for a series I absolutely dislike, I have watched these movies a lot because I keep having to revisit them every time they come out with a new sequel. So I'd watched Conjuring 2 a couple of times and I remembered it pretty well with its Rumpelstiltskin ending. But I remembered <laughs> nothing about Nun 1. Absolutely nothing. So I had to go back and rewatch it, and I stand by my not recommend of it. It was not a good movie. <laughs> I kind of watched it with you. I had other things to do, and I kind of dipped in and dipped out there, but I don't remember much about it, and wow, was it dull. Yeah, here's the thing that I, I will offer. I think the reason why The Nun is the biggest of the Conjuring series is because nuns... They're tapping into something that hadn't been done really in horror, but nuns are kind of scary. You know, there's a lot of people walking this earth that have religious trauma that, you know, went to parochial school and got rulers slapped on their hands or whatever. You know, like nuns just have this reputation, mostly in the movies for playing guitars and flying around and being cute. But in the real world, I haven't met the flying nun. You know, I haven't <laughs> met Maria. And so I think... 
that, yes, if there is a movie that can get to what's scary about nuns, again, people went to that first one because they wanted that movie. They didn't get it. That first movie said the scariest thing about a nun is that it growls and spits blood. And that's not the scariest thing about a nun. Actually, the nun got blood spit on her. I don't remember the nun spitting the blood. <laughs> No, she's always got blood on her lips. She never wipes her face. Yeah, it's like she's got like a tooth problem or bleeding Mm -hmm. gums or something. But they missed an opportunity to make this more scary where the nun would prey on all those, not necessarily traumatic memories, but traumatic thoughts that some of these people have about being in procreative school where she'd get the people and slap their hands or, you know, something to allude to that to make it kind of like resonate with people she was just in some monastery where everyone was dead so it was like this i mean there was like nobody was bothering her it just didn't even seem like a problem uh, that she was there this movie's going to try and fix that they're actually going to go to a boarding school with girls and uh, you know maybe i guess what i'm offering is the nun did not work but the idea of it certainly could so i came to this with a grain of optimism uh we'd get a better film we flopped positions because i re-listened to our nun one podcast and i came in with optimism i thought that trailer had looked good and even though i hadn't liked anything in the conjuring series i thought that one might be okay this one i saw the trailers for a lot because we've been in theaters a lot this summer and admittedly i didn't even remember anything about the first film i didn't know there were returning characters But nothing about that trailer excited me, and I went in with very low expectations, which is a favor to this movie, I want to say. When I go in with Mm -hmm. low expectations, it means the movie doesn't have to work very hard to impress me. So it's not like I went in arms crossed, but I did go in not expecting a whole lot, given that this is the ninth round I've had with this Conjuring universe. Right. And this one is coming from a Conjuring Universe veteran. This director, Michael Chavez, he didn't do the original Nun, but he did do La Llorona, if we're calling that a Conjuring movie. And that third Conjuring movie, I forget, even happened because they released it straight to HBO Max at the height of the pandemic. Do you remember anything about Conjuring 3? I don't. The Devil Made Me Do It is the subtitle. That's all I know. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I know who killed me. I I was trying to remember that (laughs) subtitle. But yeah, I just remember a kid walking around a road covered in blood and, and repeating that. And at some point they find a cult in like, I don't know, a basement somewhere. God, I don't even remember this at all. Ed had a heart attack. Uh, That's the big thing. Like if he kept doing it, he was going to have a big old heart attack. Does that ring a bell? Vaguely. Vaguely. When Conjuring 4 comes out, I'm going to have to revisit Conjuring's 1 through 3. <laughs> I was curious, Stuart. You said you rewatched The Nun. Your big mission has been to rewatch everything coming up to this. You didn't rewatch all of the Conjuring universe? No, Arnie. I'm not going to watch all eight in preparation. I mean, you could, <laughs> I suppose. But maybe I did because I, we're going in order, right? Like, uh, chronologically speaking, this is one of the first ones to happen because it's in 1956 and all the Conjuring movies happen in the 70s. Anyway, uh, yeah, Michael Chavez, uh, not inspiring that he's at the helm of this. Both of his efforts have been rather forgettable, but they have new writers as well. And one of them, Akila Cooper, she had the biggest horror hit of the year so far. She wrote Megan, if you saw that killer android doll movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she also wrote Megan 2.0. I have a feeling that'll be coming to now playing in 2025. Mm-hmm. 
And then there was another set of writers that came from Fear of Walking Dead. They have horror credentials. We're in new hands. They're getting to a school. Again, it's slight. I'm not going to say I, I ran to the movie theater jumping for joy, but I did believe that maybe, you know, Annabelle 2 is much better than Annabelle. They could fix this. Aw, that's kind of cute with your optimism. Hey, you know, Annabelle 2 is the only one I've given a green arrow to. So, none to. Uh, let's see what you got. But there weren't many people with me. I don't know what your theater was like. I went early show Thursday. And, yeah, if this thing is tracking to open big, it won't be because of Springfield giving it a lot of support. It's not going to be because of Dallas either, because there was maybe, what, like, 15 people in ours, Arnie? Yeah, it looked like more tickets were sold than people were there. Because when I looked online, a lot of seats were blocked off. But yeah, I'd say there were about 15 people there. Mostly adults, I'd say, in their 30s or so. And there was one younger person who, as the lights went down, was sitting right behind us. And I felt so sorry for this girl because she was saying to somebody she was with, Oh my god, I'm so scared! And she must have been more scared with the anticipation than anything in this movie to preview my thoughts. I had high hopes for her, too, because I'm like, oh, hey, good. There's going to be someone who's going to jump and scream. and Yeah. But no, she didn't do a damn thing during the movie. I was trying to feel my audience as well. And they were they were sitting all in the back. I was like, it was the IMAX. So, like, I had one of the first five rows and they were way in the back. But I did notice there was one moment in the movie, if you can hear chair shuffle. You know, if things get quiet and you hear creaking, it means people are leaning or, or whatever. I do feel like there was a couple moments where I could track when the audience was with the movie. But let's find out. Arnie, what happens in Nun 2? Well, as you said, the year is 1956 and there's been a series of murders across Europe heading west from Romania. The most recent one was a priest who was burned to death in Terrasson, France. The Vatican sends investigators to look into these strange deaths, but this time they don't send a priest. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sister Irene, the nun who faced Valak in the first movie, is played by Tessa Farmiga and is sent to investigate alone. But coming along for the ride uninvited is the conflicted Sister Deborah, played by Storm Reed. In France, Irene has visions of Valak, even once being attacked by the demonic nun. Irene gets the rosary of the burned priest and notices a strange symbol on the rosary. Looking at photos of the other dead people show that same crest on their rosaries. Irene and Deborah meet with a church librarian who tells them the symbol is the family crest of St. Lucy, patron saint of the blind. St. Lucy was a woman who was burned by pagans, and they stabbed out St. Lucy's eyes. There's now a relic called the Eyes of St. Lucy. The librarian suggests Valak is looking for the Eyes of St. Lucy to become more powerful. The librarian is also able to tell the two nuns where the Eyes of St. Lucy are buried, an old monastery that became a winery for a while, <laughs> and has since become a boarding school for girls. <laughs> Next week, it'll be a country line dancing club. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever goes. Oh, no, it's almost October. It's going to be a spirit Halloween store. Yeah, there you go. I mean, my God, the Catholic Church can't even keep a monastery running. They got to sell it to, like, a winery? At that boarding school is Maurice, who in the first film was known as Frenchie, played by Jonas Bloquet. Maurice is working as a handyman and gardener at the boarding school and has befriended little girl Sophie, but Maurice is possessed by the spirit of Valak after the encounter in the first movie. 
Irene and Deborah arrive and try to exorcise the demon out of Maurice, but Valak takes control of the handyman and starts to terrorize the school, along with a demonic goat that comes from a window. We'll talk about it. I love the goat. (laughs) You can't say shit about that goat. That goat's awesome. (laughs) With Sophie's help, the two nuns find the eyes of St. Lucy. Then Deborah goes to save the schoolgirls from the demonic goat, while Irene faces off against Maurice. Maurice gets the eyes of St. Mary away from Irene, and then lifts Irene in the air and sets her on fire. But Irene doesn't burn. It turns out that Irene is a descendant of St. Lucy. Then, using the power of prayer, Irene and Deborah turn caskets of wine into the blood of Christ. Valak is bathed in the wine and seems to be defeated, and Maurice says he's been saved from the demon that possessed his soul as credits roll. As we get started here, they're going to take us right to an opening kill. You got to get us excited. I thought, well directed. This moment where we are introduced, starting with the altar boy, Jacques. He's just kind of kicking his soccer ball down these foggy streets of France. Takes a little while. There's a lot of setup to his rituals as he gets ready for mass. I don't know. I was in a optimistic mood. I, I felt things bump up a bit as we see how his day goes wrong. I had to laugh a little bit because after mass he has to take the wine back downstairs there's like a soccer ball or a basketball or something he kicks out of the way valak kicks it back valak Mm. likes to play soccer or something or is just a prankster but that's the whole horror movie trope where something a ball or something comes back after you kick it or something like that i kind of rolled my eyes a little all right well let's bring this up because i mean i think this is Crucial to my struggle with the nun, all of it, starting with Conjuring, is maybe, right, Valak could be a real big, like, FIFA fan. Like, I (laughs) don't know, because I don't know what Valak wants. They've had two movies, and one totally devoted to her, and I don't know what her MO is. I don't know what she cares about. She doesn't speak, and I do think that that hurts in trying to understand anything about this creature but you know i'm just yes what marjorie says is true this is just a horror opening where you do subtle little things in the background and boom you know suddenly you know yes that the ball and the step stool have been moved from where he you know had moved them to get that jug of wine i just laughed at the imagery of this kid carrying this ginormous jug of wine down these stairs thinking he's going to break it thinking he's going to drop it But it ends up shattering on its own because Valak can do whatever. I mean, that's (laughs) the problem is that Valak seems to have unlimited powers and I'm not sure why she's even using them. I'll say this. When the wine casket shattered on the shelf, the loud noise made me jump. It was the one time in this entire movie that it got a jump out of me was that. It was just, I didn't expect the entire thing to shatter. And with such a loud noise, I was in a Dolby Atmos theater. Certain Mm -hmm. things were very loud and that was one of them. I don't think this movie is supposed to be jump scares. I think we're just supposed to be afraid of the nun because it's the nun. And she's got really bad teeth that are bloody and a really washed out face and dark eyes. I mean, I don't think it's a jump scare movie. Mm, I think it ends up being one. I don't know what the intent, again, because I don't know what this nun, she doesn't really have a backstory. I thought for sure in this movie, they didn't tell us. We know it's a demon escaping from hell and that's all we'll ever know, but it would be nice to know if, if there was ever really a nun that got 
possessed initially or just anything about Valak would be helpful. We are going to find out what Valak wants in this movie and we'll get to it. Valak has a mission this time. Okay, I hope you can articulate it for me. I can hand wavy do it later on. I mean, I kind of put it in the plot summary. Okay, yeah, I heard the hand waves. (laughs) Yeah, I do not feel I clearly understand what Valak is about, what Valak can do, and why I should be afraid of Valak. But I'm trying to start with a compliment. I think with this opening where we see this altar boy see mass go wrong afterwards and the priest actually levitate and burn as the, you know, anointing holy water sizzles, I think that this is a pretty effective, well-directed opener. I agree. I thought that was very evocative and very violent for a Conjuring film, you know? Despite being rated R usually for intense horror, I don't associate the Conjuring films with deaths, necessarily, or violent deaths at that. And... Valak got an upgrade somehow. She is far more powerful because if she could just levitate people and immolate them, then she should have had no problem fighting off those nuns last time in the cloisters. But here, this priest is taken out really easily and really violently. Yeah, it's a memorable image and they'll even come back to it. Like his char on on the staircase will remain. He stains the stairs with the way he burns up here. And again, I, I think that this is... Is just yes if you are here for imagery i think that this movie i don't know if it's jump scares marjorie but i do think that this movie has a lot of heavy metal album covers to show you mm-hmm. plus it was so dark mm-hmm. it was just such a dark dark movie like in the color palette and it was hard to make out some of it yeah which i liked It's Billie Eilish's music video cinematographer. So if you like her aesthetic, they're stealing it for this movie. I just kept wishing they turned the lights so I could see something better that was supposed to be there. Well, that can be dreaded anticipation. Leaning Mm -hmm. in, trying to see what's in the dark, what kicked that soccer ball. Yes, if we actually saw a nun kicking around a soccer ball, perhaps that would take away from the fear factor. But what (laughs) you can't see is sometimes helpful and creating suspense. So they've done it. What I'm trying to say is, but with this opening, and they haven't told me much about Valak, but they've got me anticipating this movie. But were you anticipating the return of Sister Irene from the first movie? Again, I didn't remember the first movie, so I thought this was going to be the nun against totally new people. You know, kind of like Annabelle. I didn't expect returning characters. But here, Sister Irene is back, now in the lead role, whereas in the last movie, Damien Bashir had top billing. Oscar nominated too good for it. Yeah, he, they can't get him. Or maybe they want the money to go to the effects, and they don't want to spend it on, yeah... Damien Bashir. So wait, so Irene saved the world and she goes back and she's just a regular old nun in the convent. Well, here's the thing. what They, they made very clear in the last movie, she wasn't even a nun yet. She was a novitiate. Yeah. She hadn't really taken her vows and that was meant to imply that maybe this wasn't for her. I mean, she did have problems like Maria, you know, like when she was there with the students, she'd talk about dinosaurs and things and get in trouble with the older nuns that didn't like that. So you got the sense that maybe she could walk away from this. The fact that she's wearing a habit and is looking, you know, well integrated, like is able to figure out how to get this truck out of the mud and other nuns seem to respect her and come to her with troubles. 
she's found her calling. It worked. That she didn't fall apart after the last movie. I know if I had confronted a demon nun in a monastery, I'd probably be done with the Catholic Church after that. Yeah, I mean, I would do what I could to not put myself in that situation again. Not hang around those people. But to your point, Marjorie, the priest was made a bishop and she was left a nun and just an everyday nun, not even a mother superior or anything. It's the misogyny of the Catholic Church. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It goes deeper because, yeah, some nuns are gossiping. It's helpful if you don't remember the original or didn't see the original. They'll have some nuns gossiping about what they heard happened. And yes, Damien Bashir's Father Burke ended up getting promoted. And the other one, well, we heard she went mad. We heard that she couldn't handle what she saw and was institutionalized. And we'll learn later that Sister Irene's own mother had visions, talked to God, and was institutionalized. I wondered if there was some truth to that story. They don't really allude to it in this movie beyond that. You'd have to fill in that blank. It's been four years since the first encounter with Valak, but did Irene have an episode? Was she institutionalized? That would have been, I think, cool to explore. Yeah, I took it as just this was nuns rumor mongering and that I didn't even think that she had been institutionalized, but we see Irene's face during the storytelling and you can tell she kind of is upset that that's what they're saying about just this anonymous nun that was part of it and nobody's giving her the credit she is due for having faced against Valak and she's not going to step up. I mean, pride is a sin and so she's not going to step up and say, hey, that was me, but she's obviously, again, she is kind of shat upon for the person who defeated Valak to just be forgotten and said that she's in a insane asylum owned by the Vatican. I love that thought that the Vatican has its own insane asylum. I like to think Scientology does too, but... Mm, I'm sure. I mean, you would need to. So we also have another nun here, Sister Deborah, who... She's kind of taking the Irene role in this one. She doesn't really want to be a nun. We find out both of them were sent to the nunnery by their fathers. It's not like they chose the life. Their fathers chose the life for them. And Sister Deborah, she doesn't want to confess. She doesn't think she has anything to confess. We see her smoking cigarettes. She's not a good nun. Yeah, her story makes no sense. They're in Mississippi. White people come and burn down their house and with their mother inside and kill her. The dad wants his children to serve. So why not send them both to the armed forces? Like, okay, son, you go into the army and you are going to Italy? And like becoming a nut? Like that seems... I needed more explanation. It seems rather bizarre that this uh, Mississippi black American is here in Europe in 1956. It does seem a little far-fetched because why didn't she just end up at like a nunnery in America or just leave and go out on her own? Right. Yes. And she doesn't want to. The difference is... Irene always had a gift of talking with God. This woman has no faith in this. This woman doesn't believe in it. And again, if you had that kind of trauma, all, surrounded by all these white people, you'd be like, forget this. She gravitates towards Irene because she learns Irene is the person in that story, that she has performed miracles. Well, I want to see a miracle. And that's why they have a, I guess I'll call it a friendship, a partnership. 
And should be said, Storm Reed is probably a bigger star than Taisha Formiga. I haven't seen Taisha in anything that doesn't involve her sister, but Storm Reed is on the popular show Euphoria. She was in the Wrinkle in Time movie about a decade ago. She had a memorable cameo in Last of Us. She was in a thriller this year called Missing. Oh, that's why she looked familiar. So I haven't seen that movie yet, but that trailer was on like repeatedly. And now it's on streaming. Yeah, it was a big hit for her. And uh, yeah, I think she is. <laughs> it's a big hit for her. <laughs> I mean, you know, she's not a huge star. No, but she's got some cred. Yes, exactly. She has worked in this genre, and hopefully, and I think this is calculation, young people are going to want to see her. This movie could use an infusion of youth market, because it does, again, it's set in a 1956 time frame. Most of these people are older. What is there for the young horror audience to grab onto? Yeah, but this is a rated R movie. So they're not going that young. Yeah. Uh, that is strange that they would make that calculation. Was the first one R? Yeah. Okay. Most of the Conjuring universe, if not all of it, is R for intense terror. I'm quite sure <laughs> some of those Annabelle movies later, that Annabelle creation, had to be PG-13. Yeah, they were pretty tame. They didn't have intense horror. They didn't really have horror. Annabelle creation was also R. God damn. All right. So I'm getting part of your complaint is with this series has been that it has blue-balled its violence. That as an R-rated horror movie, it doesn't deliver the shocks of an R-rated graphic horror movie. I'll agree with that. They are relatively tame. They're more atmospheric. Can I offer that they feel more like a 70s horror movie by design? That's why they're set in that time period. There's a love for the Amityville, for the Exorcist, for that kind of vibe. And you better love atmosphere because that's all you're going to get for the first hour of this movie. You get a burning priest and then an hour of atmosphere. And you're right. It's all atmosphere, but that atmosphere is of a made-for-TV movie or a dull television show. It is not exciting. There's nothing implied about anything being scary. All we know is that people are dying in churches. Okay, that's not scary. There's nothing building up to the nun. <laughs> it's not scary because you don't go to church. You're perfectly safe. <laughs> the heathens will be fine. <laughs> yeah, which there is some truth to. I agree. It like, And I wonder, I mean, when I talked about the Exorcist series, I talked about it being a unique horror movie for the religious. Like it's religious people love that movie because it tests their faith and proves that they have the strength to endure it. Whereas, yeah, a lot of, a lot of horror is secular and yeah, people that aren't necessarily religious, religious people aren't encouraged to go see a Friday the 13th movie the way they might, you know, The Exorcist. But I, I disagree with you guys. I think this movie is well-directed. I think the atmosphere is palpable. I agree. It is what this movie has. But I love the look of this movie. I love the feel of this movie. I'm captivated by what I'm seeing. I feel like it does hold me. And I'm hearing... I mean, you guys are the torture porn, the Lionsgate, the graphic horror fans... Can you go with a movie, a horror movie that doesn't have that element? Absolutely. And that's not my complaint about this movie, that there weren't enough kills or anything. Or it wasn't gory enough. My complaint about it is like the first hour is dull. Like, they don't even like build up the suspense. It's just, 
it's nice to look at. I will say some of it was very nice visually. Yes. However, the story is lacking in creating the suspense for what comes later. And then, I mean, you go through this whole, like, the movie's almost over. I kept checking my watch. And it, it turns out I was checking my watch every seven minutes, turns out, because there was nothing going on. And by the time you get to the climax, though, it all happens so fast, there's, like, no... It's like it's unsatisfying, if that makes sense. And again, let me clarify, though. It is not about number of kills, gore, or anything like that. It was just the story was rather boring. And there was this hour-long portion where nothing really happened or added to the suspense. I Again, the, my favorite part is the first part. So um, let's talk a little bit. Let's get sidetracked a little bit and talk about The Exorcist. That new movie's coming out. I think it's somewhat relevant. Arnie, you rather famously don't like that movie. No, I thought that there was too little of the stuff that I liked, which was Reagan fully possessed and things. It took a long time to get there. And yeah, when you were talking about how they love 70s horror and were doing that with The Conjuring, and what I was thinking as you were saying that is, but I don't like 70s horror. Mm -hmm. So I like 80s horror and 90s horror. So right. if they're going to go back to 70s horror, that's not ever going to work for me. That's not something that I hold nostalgic for or even can enjoy coming in new. So if this first hour is to that, the word blue balled is very good that you used as far as <laughs> expectations for the first hour of this movie, because really nothing is going to happen. The nuns are going to have a couple of visions and we're going to intercut Maurice working as a handyman at a school. And we know those two are going to intersect at some point in time, but damn, it's just a long time to get there. There's a couple of nun appearances but she doesn't do anything. I don't know why she's stalking Irene at this point in time. There is a kill and we'll get to it. But again, I just want to circle back with Marjorie. Where are you with the exorcist? Too long, too drawn out? I didn't find it scary. I Again, not a religious person. It was okay. I think it's overrated. Okay. But again, I mean, it's not that I don't like 70s horror. I do. I like 70s disaster movies better because I think they're like an untapped genre that we need to cover someday on this show. And I'm with you. But again, I'm specifically honing in on The Exorcist because so many people call that the greatest horror movie ever made. And I think the struggle I'm hearing with you guys is too slow, too reliant on implied atmosphere. I want the last 15 minutes of that movie to be an hour of the movie. You'd much rather have Reagan beating the shit out of people for 90 minutes and eyes popping out than people walking down the street and maybe seeing uh, someone look at them funny. No, not necessarily. I'm not saying that whatsoever. Maybe that's Arnie, but I'm just saying that I didn't find it scary. I find it was slow moving and dull. And it might be a lot of the fact that I don't know a lot about what's supposed to be scary in that movie, if that makes sense. I do not know a lot about Catholicism. I don't know a lot about religion in general. So if you're like a devout Catholic, what you're supposed to be seeing scary in that movie, I might be missing. And it might be slow because of that. Well, I mean, I think you get it. I, I, yes, how a Catholic might experience possession is probably mm -hmm. different from a lay person. But I think everyone understands it's bad when your head spins around and you spit green vomit, you know. 
oh yeah yeah I get that part but like I just I don't know it's okay it's not great I felt the same way about like Rosemary's Baby okay so what I'm gonna ask is and this might be hard to do although you don't like those movies isn't none too doing a pretty good job replicating what people like about that movie I would argue that the problem is that you don't want what they're selling not that they're doing it badly not necessarily, but I, I get what you're saying, and I can agree to a point, but I feel that with, okay, I guess with The Exorcist, while I missed a lot of the stuff because I didn't know it, but I got the sense that it was supposed to be frightening. And this, it just felt very, like a lot was missing. Like there's a director's cut that makes some of these things more suspenseful. Like I don't think they did a good job building up the suspense or the implied terror that they were trying to do. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about what they do. You mentioned Maurice. I totally forgot about Maurice. If I hadn't rewatched the film, I would not have been able to recall that there was the, he was a comic relief character, the goofy guy that drove the pre and the nun to the evil monastery he left the stinger of that movie was he left with an upside down cross uh, bubbling under the skin of his neck he was possessed i guess it's logical that he is the thing that is bringing the evil we even saw him leaving that church from the opening and casting the the silhouette of the nun so he is the vessel of evil and the reason why there's all this death transpiring across europe but we also saw at the end of nun one that maurice was exercised by the warrens we had ed and lorraine warren cameoing at the end of nun one so maurice cannot be saved that is the thing we know is that he will remain possessed until he encounters the Warrens, and they try to exorcise him, and he dies during that process. So we know his end fate. You don't know that. Yeah, they said it. That he died? Okay. Yeah, they said that in Conjuring 1, when they're discussing this, they said the guy they tried to exorcise, who wasn't played by Jonas Bloquet at that point, but... The guy they tried to exercise died and had killed his wife and daughter, I believe. Yeah, I get your point. Yes, that w this is a interquel. It is not just a prequel. It is in between two established things. And thus, this character can't change. We can't exercise the nun from him. And I'm wondering what the ending, if they're trying to change that. But yes, he is the evil that is coming. And I think because he was so funny and likable, theoretically at least, in that first movie, that we aren't to look at him the same way we do Linda Blair in The Exorcist. That we want him so badly. He seems like such a nice guy when he's flirting with the teacher, when he's playing with the bullied kid. We want to like him. And then we have a moment like the one with the delivery boy, where we see that he stares into the mirror, twitches, and the nun takes over and kills. Yeah, the nun kills this delivery boy. This almost feels like an added-in shot, because there's no repercussions for this. Nobody's looking for the delivery boy. I was wondering if this even happened. Is this delivery boy comes, gets picked up by the nun, we hear this cracking sound that I think is the boy's neck being broken by Valak, and then... Never mentioned again. It's like people realize there's way too much of this movie without Valak in it, and we need to just insert something in order to give the audience something. I mean, that's why you started with the immolation, is you hook us, you start us with something really impressive, but then... They went so long that this delivery boy is the only thing we have in this first hour regarding 
mostly hauntings and kills. But then it doesn't make sense. I'm hearing you don't like the scene? Because I thought it was a really great scene. It's fine. It just had no impact in the movie. I wish it mattered. Okay, I'm not trying to look forward. I'm talking about 16 minutes in when we see this kid coming in and setting up jars in the pantry and hearing the cracking and going down the hall. Like, this is all well designed for slow dread horror when he sees Maurice in the mirror and that hand comes out of the dark and points and the room, like the whole lighting scheme goes crimson. This is a good atmospheric 70s horror kill. It is not an 80s kill, but it is a good 70s horror kill. I'll agree with you that, again, visually stunning and good play of sound and visual in doing the kill and trying to scare the audience. However, this is a kid, right? I mean, did you guys both agree this is like a young kid? Yeah. Yeah, like a delivery person, like their first job, paperboy. Yeah. So it kind of didn't fit in with the others because, like, he didn't kill Jacques, the little soccer boy. Mm -hmm. And later on, we find out why Valak is killing certain people. So did the delivery boy just happen to be a descendant of that saint? Again, if you want me to complain, and I'm hearing complaint is heavy, my complaint is that Valak makes no sense as a monster. No, it doesn't. I don't understand the motive. And if if we're asking to jump to the end, which I'm trying to give this movie its compliments before I lead with the complaints, yes, I don't understand why Velik picks who they do to target. This movie will come up with something contrived, sort of, but that's, it's not really good enough and it's just an engine to help the characters find Valak. It's not truly the motive of why a demon would want to leave hell. So yes, Valak sucks. So yes, I agree with you. Valak's motivations are extremely frustrating and a blight on the Nun series. However, I do think that if you are here for 70s horror, if you wanted Suspiria, which is again a movie that I want to be reinterpreted and and brought back, then this is a good kill. I'll agree with you there. Yeah, and I had not turned on this movie at this point because it is still very early in and... Yeah, I figure if she's killing this delivery boy, we're in for a high body count, which I never expected from a Conjuring film. Right. This is 16 minutes into the movie. And again, it's just tragic because Maurice is this nice guy. And if he didn't have a demon, he'd be like falling in love and becoming a father. And and everyone seems to like him, that he has this dual nature. It Again, it reminds me of how cute Reagan is in The Exorcist. And then to know that it will be defiled in the way that it is in the second half. You just, you have heartbreak for Maurice. You hurt for him. Yeah, and he's also being very nice to this little girl, Sophie, that you talked about. She's picked on by these mean girls, Simone and Celeste, who are just terrible children. Like, when the headmistress is praying, they pour cockroaches into the headmistress's room and do all sorts of nasty things. Here's the thing. Like, normally, like, you might think that the headmistress deserves it. Because in a movie like this, the headmistress, Suspiria, I think about the people running the ballet school, they were so awful, you would endorse anyone, like, playing pranks and hurting them. But this woman is, like, grieving. Her son uh, was killed in World War II in the chapel that they now keep locked off and so yeah that she's just sitting there praying by a votive candle looking at his picture and is suddenly crawling has cockroaches crawling over her doesn't have the impact of like oh this is a creepy school i don't even think it's a catholic school right no one here is a nun that's teaching 
No. No. I thought it was just, yeah, it was a non-specific boarding school with one teacher, apparently. Right. It's just a French boarding school that long ago used to be a monastery, but they keep that part locked up in part because it reminds the headmistress of losing her son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To Marjorie's point, they don't have a lot of employees here. It seems there is one teacher named Kate, one handyman, Maurice, one headmistress, and maybe a dozen students, and they're all in one class. Classroom. It's not like there's a lot of girls. This isn't even as populated as the facts of life. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the introduction of Maurice is that he's very friendly with Sophie. And he's just, he's a school handyman, janitor, whatever, work person, whatever. And his friendship with her, she's making him friendship bracelets and everything. I got like major creepy like groomer vibes off him during this no, no, they definitely cover their ass on that because they know that that's what people are going to think. It's very clear. They have a very long, pointless scene of him going to repair the cabinet of her mother because her mother is that teacher. So, like, he, his crushing when he's like, I'm here to fix your cabinet, you know, bunka bunka cha, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm saying up until the, at first the introduction was creepy Grimmer vibes. And then you see him flirting with the mom with the cabinet and everything. And she also apparently on, only owns one red dress. Yeah, this movie, I think it looks great, but they clearly don't have all the money in the world. They've had to make cuts. That means not bringing back Father Burke. That means having a very, yeah, too small a cast. If this is a school, it's not a very thriving one. You feel that there's a smallness to this movie. But again, I think it. they put their money on the screen. Uh, what they have looks good when you're looking at it. And yeah, so the Maurice story is being told in parallel to the Irene story. And for my money, Irene's got the more boring road. The stuff with Maurice is where all the scare bits are. The jump scares or whatever kind of scares we're calling them. The atmosphere scares. And then Irene has the heavy lifting of having to just try and get there and figure out why Valak might be in the school to begin with. That she's approached first in dreams. Some nun tells her to go downstairs. She has a visitor and she has a vision of Maurice. So she must know that it involves him and figures out relatively quickly that Valak has possessed him. And then an actual cardinal comes the next day and tells her, you need to do this. And she refuses at first and then agrees. And she's supposed to go alone, as I mentioned in the plot summary, but Deborah just stows away and comes along. She's just skipping the convent. People are going to wonder where the hell she is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody cares about Deborah, and and I think that that just again, Deborah is here because we want young people in 2023 to maybe take notice of this cast and come see this movie. That looks like it's for older religious people. And they get to the hotel, and this made me laugh out loud. They get to the hotel. And the hotel doesn't have their reservation. We've all been there, but Sister Irene is so distraught that they don't have her reservation, she has to walk out in the street and compose herself. Like, she cannot <laughs> handle not having a reservation. Yeah, this feels like a weird rewrite or something. Like, it's just a way for her to run into Jacques uh, because they need to get this story progressing. She's been to the cathedral already, and she, you know, the only thing I think of value that she learned there was that the father that burned up had this painting 
that uh, in his room, there was a really creepy, you wouldn't think a priest would like this kind of art painting of a girl with no eyes holding a plate with the eyes on it. And it introduces the idea of St. Lucy, who becomes much more important as she goes along her investigation. But this also leads us to what I think is one of the more visually stunning pieces of this movie, where she's chasing after Jacques and ends up in front of the newsstand and the pages are turning and it ends up being a vision of the nun. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really like that part. My only complaint about it is, is it took a really long time for all the pages like to turn like it seemed like it was too long of a scene. Mm -hmm. And you knew what it was going to be going into it, what was going to happen and what it was going to be. It's in the trailer. I mean, if you've seen the trailer as much as Arnie and I have. I didn't actually see the trailer, so I like that shot a lot. Yeah, yeah. The director was on Nuvi. If you watch Nuvi with Maria Menounos before the <laughs> movie's trailer starts, yes. if you get there too early. You're too early. You're there too early if you're seeing Maria. That's what I'm going to say. You should definitely time that better. But the director was talking about how this magazine scene was the hardest one to film. I guess these are real magazines and they had to get legal clearances to use all of these magazines. Oh. And then they had to figure out the images to put inside in order to create the images they wanted to. He said that this was far easier on the page than it was to actually pull off. And so this was his big scene of the movie. I like the magazine stuff. I think it's kind of cool visually to see these magazines flip. Of course, you know Valak is going to appear. There's this light that keeps going out and every time it goes out, there's a little tink sound. And so you just know this tink sound is going to mean that Valak is going to pop out and do a jump scare. This is the only scene that Irene gets that is horrific. For the most part, it's drudgery. She's going around and learning things from people in archives, but, you know, she talks to people, she, after the facts, visits places where people have been murdered. This is the her one scare moment, and it is a good one. I do agree it's a very slow burn. What I take a little bit of issue with is I want her to be doing more investigation. The idea of, of her investigation is mostly she goes someplace and has a vision. She goes to the Catholic Church and she sees that father burn up. She sees that his ash come down and she knows that Jacques has his rosary, which will sort of become important later. And then here at the magazine rack, yeah, she goes back in time. <laughs> By Valak choking her and jumping out of the magazines, she suddenly can see that saint. It's the patron saint of the blind. And this is a real thing, apparently, that St. Lucy of Syracuse had her eyes carved out and was burned at this bond fire and has since been turned into a saint. She, I guess, procreated before that happened. And now all her descendants are keeping her eyes in a jar that is buried somewhere. And that's the investigation. Yeah, the desiccated eyes. I mean, I, you know, I love my relatives, but I'm not keeping anyone's eyes in a jar. <laughs> yeah, I thought that maybe it was something metaphorical like it was a relic that they called the eyes of saint lucy but they didn't need to send irene out on this mission they needed to send this librarian this librarian knows everything he is mm. mr exposition and when i said we know valak's mission and things in this one it all comes from this librarian and this librarian is going to be like valak was probably well they don't ever say her name in this, the, just right. the demon, because we're not supposed to know her name until Conjuring 2 in the chronology. So Valak is never said, but we know it's Valak. And this librarian is going to say that Valak was an angel 
who was cast out by God and wants to regain the power they had as an angel. And so Valak is looking for the eyes of St. Lucy in order to become powerful again. So there you go, Stuart. You said you didn't know Valak. This is the whole thing by Valak as guest by a Catholic <laughs> librarian. Yes, yes. Father Ridley. Is, uh, I don't know if that's in honor of Ridley Scott or, or what that means. But yes, you're right. That we, I saw that scene too. In the middle of this movie, he comes in and tries to piece together something that makes no sense. What you just said, you'll acknowledge, makes no sense. That an angel that became a demon wants the eyes of a carved saint so that it can become an angel again or have angel powers like uh, again that sounds really like a bunch of hooey and yes poor father ridley has to deliver that in a really cool looking building again this movie's aesthetic carries it far but when you peel that away oftentimes you're frowning at the stupidity of the plot he even knows that the last relative of saint lucy jean paul redant he knows the name he knows that he was at this saint mary's monastery and yes, it's changed hands a couple of times. It was an Applebee's. Now it's a girl's school. <laughs> and that's so like they know eventually that they need to get to where we've always wanted to be and never wanted to leave. The best stuff in this movie is at the girl's school. They should have gotten this done there faster because her journeys around Europe to find out are lame. And I do like one death here at the girls' school, because it's around this point in time, Maurice is going to kill the headmistress. And this one feels a little bit more motivated. The headmistress hears some sounds, and it's Maurice as possessed by Valak, standing outside that chapel. It's like Valak is sensing that somewhere in that chapel are those eyes of St. Lucy. And because the headmistress interfered and he has to go scurrying off back to his bedroom, Valak is going to create, again, like you said, Valak's powers are very nebulous. Somehow Valak can create a ghost of the headmistress's dead son, Cedric and lure the headmistress into the unsafe chapel and then have Cedric push the headmistress into some equipment so that the headmistress gets conked on the head. Get it? Headmistress. And I think that's why they killed her that way, as she gets concussed and dies. Well, here's what I would offer. Again, I hear you guys saying atmospheric horror can often be prolonged, boring horror. I'm saying this one is. But what I'm going to say is we've had several cool scenes with Valak that I've liked. And this scene is where it goes too far. This is where, when you have a eight-year-old boy take one of those censures, you know, one of those things that, you know, it's like a yo-yo that releases incense, and he's swinging around and knocking her across the room. Whenever you have demons throwing people against the wall, you're probably doing too much. This kind of horror thrives and blooms on implied and not aggressive attacks. And this was the most graphic kill, I think, in the entire movie, but he was swinging it like a mace and hitting her. Yes, that to me makes me laugh. I, I think that looks silly. Yeah, it did look silly. But yeah, it was the most graphic kill and it seemed a little out of place, but they had to have a way, I guess, to get her in there. They could have just killed her by, I guess, 
her falling into that and falling down then. It was a little out of place with the rest of the movie as far as the goriness. He could have just lured her in there and then had something fall on her or something. And yet, this is the scene where I talked about earlier, I could hear chairs move and people tither. And like, this was, I think, the scene, Arnie, that my audience liked the best. Like, they wanted more of this style of horror, an attack. Something that we can see doing something very aggressive and, yeah, causing bloody harm to a woman. That a mother is being killed by her child feels like some kind of delicious irony for the audience as they, I think, had been largely, you know, I didn't hear any snoring, but it felt like the first time that people were sitting up in their seats. So they were having the experience we were having. I think so. But I just want to offer, we've had little moments where Sophie, the little bullied girl, thinks she's following her mother up the stairs and ends up like peeking into a room where there's Valak and she turns into crows that fly in her face. To me, that is, I don't want to use the word scary because this movie's not scary, but that is more evocative and that is more impressive than having a small child do kung fu with Catholic iconography (laughs) on an old lady. Like that, to me, was the mistake. But I felt for my audience, and I'm hearing from you, no, that's the thing you do more often. It at least perked me up after quite a lot of doldrums and a lot of investigation and a lot of Maurice. This at least got my interest, but I agree with you that using that incense burner as a weapon did make my eyes roll. I'm not loving this, just to make sure it's very clear. Okay. I wasn't clear. All right. So you did not like this scene? I said it was better than what had come before because it piqued my interest. She's not liking it. (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) Listen, I'll just be perfectly honest. Please. There is nothing in this movie except for some camera work that I like. Okay. There is zero that I like about this movie. I almost hate this movie. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Helpful to know. I'm glad you just put that on the table because we can work with that. I'm having a very different experience in that I feel like we've had a slow creep for an hour and I kind of liked it. I was like, oh, I think this is my scene. I think I like it when we have that scene of the girl sneaking into the chapel and they got the goat eye or whatever and Valak's creeping up behind. Like, I know you have to do more eventually. And I'm definitely disappointed that we don't learn Valak motives. But I don't think I need much more from the demon than what the first hour gives me. And as we start turning into these super violent attacks, it starts to look comical. See, you're going to Suspiria and Exorcist. The 70s homage movie that kept coming to mind for me was Lords of Salem. Exactly. It's a terrible, terrible fucking movie. Yeah, but trying to do those things badly is what I would say. Uh, Rob Zombie not having it. And I think this one is too. Okay. I liked the original Suspiria, if you recall. I couldn't remember. I thought that one worked. And just because I didn't like The Exorcist, because I felt like it was prolonged before we got to the priests and everything, this good stuff, I can like that vibe of movie But this is no Dario Argento film here. And it isn't. I I don't want to imply that it is. I I get it. So 
Yeah, I'm just really having the same kind of experience of tedium that I had during Lords of Salem during a lot of this movie. Okay, but just to understand we're on very opposite ends. I'm starting by saying I really think I might go with this. You're saying, would something please happen? And then eventually... About an hour in, the two worlds intersect. The nuns finally get there. The other people are dancing around to an old record. And a painting of Valak appears and scares them, running into the hall. That looked cheesy as hell, that morphing of (laughs) Valak coming out of the painting. It was. Not only that, but like that's a painting that Ed makes... 15 years later and conjuring too. So I'm not sure if we're to understand Ed conjured it, that it's always been in existence and he was possessed when he painted that, but he is a skilled forger, Stuart. Yeah. Yeah. That the Warrens <laughs> definitely are, but I agree. And in trying to give us a jump scare running from a painting that is leaning out. And again, that Valak just goes roar is not enough. And should Valak talk? I almost feel like I would like to hear some words. She's taken a vow of silence, and that's to this movie's misfortune. But I think that all goes back to the fact that we don't know what Valak wants Mm -hmm. until, like, part of this. Because, I mean, it's just a scary nun to be a scary nun, and then we don't get enough of it. And to be clear, I just want to stress this. We think that we know what Valak wants because some guy in the archives said this is probably it. But that's not the same thing as hearing Valak say, this is what I want. Or see a clue to it or see Valak, like, piecing this together. Like, that whole part was, like, left out because we don't get a lot of Valak. Now, I kind of thought until the archive that Sophie was going to be somehow the key to this, whatever he was she was valak was looking for Mm -hmm. and really sophie was just kind of there yeah sophie is a target because she's best friends with maurice and since valak is possessing maurice that means that implied she's going to be the first to get it when maurice theoretically goes on a killing spree if that's what valak wants to do but rarely does what we've been told by the catholic church is valak has already been going around having 90 year old nuns shoot themselves having novitiates yeah jump out of windows in nooses if you're not catholic they're not interested in killing you this boarding school of non-religious girls is therefore safe because it's no fun to kill people that aren't believers except for that one girl one of the mean girls gets stabbed scratched by the goat man. Oh, yeah. Save it. That gave me hope again. Yes. She gets gored by... Let's talk about it. There is... Whoever heard of a stained glass of a goat? You know, it probably does exist, but I've never been in a church where they prominently talk about the goat. It is associated, I think, largely with the occult Satan. I think about the the witch. Uh, You know, it had a great goat in that one. Here, yes. Everything is built around the idea that we know that the eyes were buried somewhere on this premises and there is a goat eye that has a red laser pointer <laughs> that point that comes out <laughs> when the sun hits it right very indiana jones style yes i was thinking about the staff of raw mm, it's going to point the way to where the eyes are buried but then the goat is going to leave the painting and become my favorite monster uh, cooler than valak oh far cooler than valak it's like half man half goat running around 
It's Goat Boy. My problem is you never get a good look at it. It's mm. always in extreme close-up of a hoof hand or its face. I would have liked to have seen this monster, but as you say, I wonder if the budget on this just was a little bit too low to fully realize this goat. Yeah, and maybe not seeing it fully increases its power. You know, like, I think the imply, the shark and jaws, you know, the idea that we don't see it all is a very 70s idea. I mean, I do think that as special effects improved, the desire to show it all became the focus of horror movies. But this is an aesthetic from a time where things existed in the dark. The fact that the devil goat is running around and chasing the schoolgirls gives the very supporting characters some things to do. Yeah, it made me laugh because... The goat seems to appear like on the third floor of the school and Deborah is running up the stairs and I'm just like, whatever you do, don't run towards the devil goat. But it turns <laughs> out she's trying to rescue the girls who are on the second floor. But I thought Deborah was going to battle. I thought she was like head on running at the goat. It is her coolest moment, right? Because Deborah really is pretty useless throughout this movie. But I, that was the one moment I kind of cheered for her. Is that, yeah, if I saw a devil goat running down the stairs, my thought would not be to run up it and, and meet at the landing. No, I'm getting the hell out of there. Yeah, that she wants to, again, she's a character defined by wanting to see miracles. Well, this is kind of miraculous. And then she's going to like take them into a corner and we're going to get, yeah, just some kind of jump scare, horror scare kind of stuff with, you know, they try to, go through the vent and see uh, madame's the headmistress's uh, room again and she's there as a zombie with here's where i'll meet you arnie we have a lot of girls here it's an r-rated movie when the headmistress comes through the vent and grabs that girl by the head why don't we get a neck snap why can't we kill a few of these really mean girls when that one gets gored she's trying to hold the door closed and the goat drives its horns through the door and, and gets her in the shoulder why not just kill them? Yeah, these were mean girls. They were set up. Basically, in most movies, they would be body count. You're supposed to hate them because they're picking on the sympathetic girl. And instead, they're just going to get what they gave. You know, eye for an eye. They put cockroaches in the headmistress's room. The headmistress is going to vomit cockroaches back on them. They're going to get slapped around a little bit. They're going to get thrown around a little bit. I mean, they're going to get a comeuppance. But I'm not bloodthirsty i'm not dying for a huge body count but i would like a little bit more than the headmistress vomiting cockroaches also somewhere in the middle there but yeah these mean girls were so mean in what they did to sophie that i thought they deserved a little bit more than a horn in the shoulder however they were too young to be victims, to be killed in this movie, basically. I thought those girls were too... I didn't think anyone were going to die. Because little kids like that don't die in the movies. That delivery boy was much older. Not much older. No, they were, yeah, around the same age. And I... I here's what I would offer, Marjorie. I hear you saying horror movies don't kill little children... But in fact, when you go through the horror series, like usually that's the shocking death that many will pull. You know, that a kid in Jaws got eaten, a 10-year-old boy. You know, like they do kill the kids. You can kill kids. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try to get people in the throat like that? Maybe I thought that they were younger than they were then. Because I thought that they were like, not teens or tweens or anything yet, but still younger. Oh, they're definitely 
At least 12 and probably 14 would be my sense. See, I'm a terrible judge of age, I guess, of kids. Okay. But yeah, I didn't think any of them were going to die because they were too young. I, I didn't think they were going to, but it was my hope that they would take that risk. Because again, you just want to feel like they're doing more than shuttling supporting characters around. Because I like all this stuff with the goat. Like, it's it could work as its own horror movie. If they have to do more Conjuring spinoffs, I would race to see the goat. <laughs> yes. But it's the main event that I'm like, meh, I don't... Again, we care that Maurice and Sophie were friends and now he's possessed. It's kind of a shining kind of like daddy's coming to get you with the axe moment. Except I just don't believe that he is going to kill Sophie. So all the stuff running up the bell tower that's like falling apart? Like literally? Like is it because the bell tower is unused and old or because Valak is using black magic? Valak caused the bell to fall. So the bell collapsed and took a lot of the structure with it. And this was the one moment I actually felt suspense because I felt like anybody could die in this movie because of where it was going. I actually thought Sister Irene might have to sacrifice herself mm. because she wouldn't be around for the Conjuring films. There's no guarantee anybody's going to stay alive. And so when Sophie is on this collapsing plank fun ride looks like an amusement park ride but yeah it reminded me of the earthquake ride at universal studios mm -hmm. yeah i actually felt suspense and then the one camera piece i love is like they mount the camera to this falling plank so that sophie stays in center frame while everything behind her falls i thought that was a really cool little camera trick it's honestly right there my favorite moment of the film is sophie on the plank Okay, well then I don't want to take it from you. I, here's what I would say. This movie has grandeur. There are moments in this movie you're like, wow, this is so much more epic than what we've had before. And what we're seeing is bigger. And and that should translate into scarier. And yet it, it doesn't because this plot is nonsensical. Because I'm not really invested in what happens. And I should be caring about Maurice trying to chase down Sophie. But I don't believe they're going to do it. And I feel like there's a better chance of a goat goring a girl to death than there is of our, you know, only sympathetic child being murdered. But they got the eyes of St. Lucy. They dug those up. That's what caused the goat to pop out of the window, I guess. And I kind of thought that this was going to be a pretty easy end because Irene has the eyes. I thought she was just going to hug a booga, wave the eyes around, yeah. and Valak goes away. But I was a little bit shocked when Maurice, he's taller, and he plays that you can't reach it game and is holding it up. Irene can't <laughs> catch the eyes because he's holding it above her reach and i'm like okay valak got the eyes i did not see that coming yeah and it's, it's like he's crying these like black tears and all he looks very goth uh, like uh, yeah he's they're doing what they can to make him look menacing and not like the goofball that he has been for much of the last movie i agree it is tysa formiga's best acting moment i think when she actually levitates in the air and burns for a moment, I actually thought they might go through with it. Yeah, I was like, why doesn't Valak do this to everybody? If Valak can just levitate you and burn you, why bother knocking you with incense canisters? Why bother cracking your neck? Why bother making you shoot yourself, which is one of the deaths that Irene was investigating? Just levitate and burn everyone. That seems like a fatality move in Mortal Kombat. You can't beat that. I'm wondering if it's related to faith, that she can only, you burn saints. 
you burn believers. And, you know, it, they, they focus on the fact that St. Lucy had her eyes gouged, but afterwards she was thrown into that bonfire. So again, I think it's a very Catholic death to go up in flames. And, I mean, the ones he burns are descendants of St. Lucy. That's why they have that symbol on their rosaries. But somehow, even though the priest was a descendant of St. Lucy and burned right up, Irene is a descendant of St. Lucy she's going to discover in this moment, and she is immune to fire. Yeah. I'm going to ask something. I have a theory. Because this is a connected universe... Tysa Farmiga, we've already talked about her last time. I thought she was the daughter of Vera Farmiga, who plays Lorraine Warren in much of those Conjuring movies. Do you think they're going to close that loop? Are we going to find out that somehow, I don't know how a nun gets pregnant and gives birth to Lorraine, or maybe that they are sisters? But, like, uh, we get a little bit about her family. That she'll have a flashback to a mother, and I don't hear anything about another sister. But I just kind of wonder, since they look alike, they are related, and Lorraine seems to have this spiritual power, too, if at some point they won't try to connect Irene to Lorraine. I had the same thought. So you think it's more the nepotism <laughs> as to why yeah. she's got the job. She's not a nepo sister. That would be interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's a good thought, Stuart. Now I'm kind of curious if they're going to go with that. They could. And again, it might give a little bit of, I keep looking for background. You know, my problem with me is I want to learn more about these people. We get a little bit of flashbacks to her and her mother. We know that she felt her mother was persecuted and thrown in an asylum for her religious beliefs. Maybe that happened to her or could happen to her. But yes, the fact that they're all related to a saint that is the patron saint of blindness and thus she can withstand the burning that comes from... Is Valak using the eyes? Because they have the canister. I think so. I think that's how he's able to do all that. But yet... Valak could do this earlier, too. Right. That's my anger. Is like, the eyes don't seem to be making Valak any... Valak's taller, right? It's turned to 20 feet. But, like, other than that, I don't see it as more powerful. Is it 20 feet? I thought she was levitating. Oh, could be. I don't know. The light is such that it's it's a gigantic nun at this point, haloed and... <laughs> And growling and yeah, it's, it's again, the imagery, you can't knock it. It just looks fantastic to see Tysa float into the air and burn and scream and then realize she doesn't have to. She's back on the ground and Deborah saw it all. That's all she needed. You know, she was doubting in the miracles of the church. She's seen a miracle firsthand. She can now pray with Irene and they can transmogrify all that wine that's just lying around. I thought a priest had to do that. I really thought Deborah's miracle moment would have had more impact than it did, too. Because, I, I mean, you know going in that she's, that she's going to see a miracle because she says she needs to see a miracle to believe, blah, blah, blah. But I kind of felt like that it was just kind of like, I don't know. I felt it should have been more impactful, and all she did then was pray and turn it to blood. Yeah, well, I want to be clear, yes, that Jesus is the one that really did that. But when they have communion, yes, it is the priest that is the one that supposedly says the thing and waves the hands to make those wafers and, you know, grape juice turn into actual blood and flesh. But yes, I guess this is a very progressive Catholic movie. Nuns can do that now. Sisters are doing it for themselves. I, I like your, <laughs> your rhythmics reference, Sarni. And this is it. great imagery, right? Like watching exploding casks of wine douse this giant nun and watch her melt like the Wicked Witch from Wizard of Oz. Is, it's definitely more impactful than the ending last time. Like it feels 
more grandiose. Yeah, I feel like they used all their budget for this scene because it was very large, is on a big scale, and there's a lot of moving pieces there. And it was kind of cool imagery, I thought, with all the red blood wine coming out. You can't make praying look that cinematic. That's the problem. Is like, I just pray hard enough and I win. How do you show that? How do you visualize that on screen? This is a great way to do that. And this is truly the end of Valak for this movie. Until Conjuring 2, or None 3, depending on how the box office goes for this. And <laughs> Maurice says he's cured. I mean, obviously that's what Valak would say if she was knocked into submission, but we are left in this movie thinking Maurice is cured. If you didn't remember the epilogue to the first movie, there's no reason not to think Maurice is cured in this moment. Yeah, I think they want you to have the impression that Sophie's going to be okay, that her and her mom aren't going off with an abuser in these last scenes. That would just be such a downer. You could play it that way. I mean, horror movies do have downbeat endings. And last time they relished the idea of that stinger of being like, oh, the evil's going to get away. But I really do think that they want you to think that Maurice will never hurt these women. I can agree with that. But he will. He'll kill them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe. Again, if they made a third one, they'd have to explain it, right? And they'd have to get to why the Warrens would come in contact with him. Yeah, what the director said was that this one closes the loop between Nun 1 and Conjuring 2. But if they made a Nun 3, I mean, do you really want to see Irene against Maurice round 2? I didn't like round 1. I certainly wouldn't want a replay of these two going up against each other again, only to either have the Warrens come in and save the day, or, again, have it just end with this ambiguous ending that we know the Warrens are the ones who have to stop Valak and Maurice later on. I think if they made a Nun 3, you'd all almost have to modernize it. You'd have to talk about Catholic life today and bring the nun to the 2020s but you know that's not the movie we're going to get next we get that teaser after we have some american horror story style credits that kind of you know this funky little jazzy number with all the imagery from the movie recycled uh, we cut to a stinger where uh, they don't tell me much i didn't see any clues in what they might be investigating but we do know that ed and lorraine are answering the call for another movie See, I didn't rewatch the three Conjurings. I couldn't tell if they were answering the phone for Conjuring 4, which would make no sense, or if they were answering the call to go exercise Maurice, which was a flashback scene in Conjuring 1. I couldn't tell why Father Gordon was calling. He's calling to say we need another big box office hit. And yes, <laughs> it's been announced. A few months ago, they announced it. The Conjuring Last Rites. I don't know if that Last Rites... Uh, subtitle implies that this is some kind of conclusion for the franchise. Uh, maybe. But yes, in 2025, we're going to get another Ed and Lorraine adventure. See, these are just getting so convoluted in my brain at this point that like I've got Conjuring Insidious with the Nun yeah. all going on in my head. And it's just, I don't want to go back and watch the Conjuring movies, but I think we're going to have to. I would say that you'd probably at least need to go back and watch that third one because they'll probably pick up in the 80s and do whatever happened next. I know that they claim to have encountered werewolves and there was something about a funeral home. That was really bad for them. Last rites, maybe that's where they go. The haunted funeral home stories. Yeah, it's just, it's the more they make of these, the more like they're all blending into one silly horror movie in my head. And I think that's by design. I think they want it to be one big experience 
but let's find out whether we enjoy it. So Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend The Nun 2? Marjorie. I'm going to say no. I do not recommend this movie, especially if you have to pay for it. Like if it's on streaming, sure, you got nothing else to do. Maybe you got a vacuum or mop your floor. Watch it. But this one is just father dowling mysteries with a few extra hardcore murders thrown in. <laughs> and I didn't like that TV show. It was pretty dull. Don't do father dowling dirty like that. <laughs> I can't believe. It was not a good TV show. I can't believe we're getting a father dowling reference. It's awesome. Oh, I mean, come on. It was father dowling mysteries. All we needed was Tom <laughs> Bosley. I mean. And they killed him off in the first one. Or he got he died of cholera, I guess. He wasn't in this movie. But yeah, it just, it was a lot of slow buildup with beautiful imagery, but the story's just not enough. We don't know enough about Valak, why he or she is picking on Maurice so much. Is Maurice just a convenient vessel? The killings don't make sense. The method of killings don't make sense. There's just not a lot here to grab you unless you like Father Dowling Mysteries. So I'm going to not recommend it. Stuart. And see, here I was really inclined in that first hour to say, yep, I'm going to give this series its second green arrow. It is, I will say this emphatically, a marked improvement over that first Nun movie. It's so much grander in its imagery, you know, seeing Valak melt with all that wine casket exploding, killing the delivery boy, the goat running down the stairs. There's stuff here that like, it's like thumbing through the greatest Marilyn Manson album covers he never released. It really looks cool. And I also want to add Tysa Formiga is more than capable of carrying the film on her own. We didn't need Bashir. And in fact, I, you know, I think it helps that it's her franchise now. I, it's too bad they don't elaborate on her backstory. But that's my kind of ding in general with this movie is that as cool as it looked, it's a shambles dramatically. It, 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 and that matters. You know, you can't just get by on a series of evocative images because that's not going to scare you. And none two is not scary because you can only be scared if you perceive threat. And what is the threat? Three movies in, what is Valet going to do to me or people I care about uh, that I should worry? I can't answer that because I don't know who Valak is. It would be one thing if this demon nun relished corrupting souls, eroding the power of the Catholic Church, but it just doesn't have that horror movie classic M.O., you know, like not creative with the kills, not charismatic in the attacks. If this were Freddy or Chucky, you know they'd be making flying nun jokes, visual puns. They would love <laughs> just running through the roster of Catholic iconography. And Pinhead, God knows every movie, even the shitty ones, he has thunderous monologues about tearing souls apart. What does Valak do? What does this chick do? She just stands around and growls. And that, to me, is the problem. This movie could deliver everything that I need, does deliver everything I need, except a central villain. And without that, in a horror movie, you have nonsense. And so, yeah, I, I feel like None 2 is less than the sum of its sometimes cool parts. And that means I can't do what I wanted to. I wanted to give this franchise one more green arrow, but I'm going to say it's the second best Conjuring movie behind Annabelle Creation, but still... A not recommend. And having re-listened to our Nun 1 podcast, I think that was my favorite of The Conjuring films. Now, again, that's the best of a bad lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How do you want to die is, is, is the way that comes <laughs> off. Which method of torture? But... 
in that case, I'd rather die of cholera than watch Nun 2 again, okay? <laughs> I mean, it is such a step down in my mind from the first one, because the first one had intrigue, it had ghost nuns, it had the creepy Mother Superior, it had the priest caught in a coffin. It felt like things were constantly happening in that movie. Whereas here, the investigation, you talk about atmosphere, I think it was dark. I think I learned the limits of the projector used by my Marcus Theaters because it cannot do a really true black black. It's always a grayish black. And the fact that I'm analyzing the projector capabilities of the theater tell you exactly how into this movie I am, which is not at all. I couldn't decide if I was more excited when I graduated from Catholic high school or more excited when this movie's credits finally rolled. They both felt like eternities in my life. Strong not recommend. Mm. And I'll just circle back. And I hear and I appreciate that your perspective is I don't want this. You think the movie is badly made on top of being the kind of horror you don't want. I mean... It's in focus. There's some cool camera work. Sometimes the lighting works. That magazine scene was cool. But I feel like its pacing is fatal. Okay. Well, it is a slow burn that burns out before the end. I do agree that eventually the atmosphere evaporates, dissipates, and you're left with very little. And that, again, by a nun too... We should definitely know the plot. Definitely by the third. You know, like, Freddy, by Dream Warriors, had figured out the M.O. If they do make a Nun 3, they absolutely have to tell you everything we've not been told about Valak. No more vagary. We need hard rules about powers and motives and who they want to kill. Well, it looks like Nun 2 is opening at about 20 million less than Nun 1. Ouch. So... I'm going to pray there is no Nun 3. I mean, still, it's opening at about 31 million or more, so that's still not bad, but I am going to get down on my knees and grab my rosaries <laughs> and pray that it's not enough to bring a Nun 3 into my life. I've had enough nuns. <laughs> Maybe a goat movie, but I, I think they're going to they're gonna get back to basics. They got to just do another Conjuring one, because that third one doesn't even feel like it happened. And let's face it, Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga are a real strength. They are always the best things about a Conjuring movie. So having them return would certainly help with my interest. I completely agree with you, because I love the two of them together, and they play those characters so well. Yeah. It's a shame that the movies failed them so often, but mm -hmm. maybe we can hope that Last Rites uh, is the best of the bunch. I'm just hoping for some good horror this Halloween. You know, there was a new trailer for The Exorcist Believer before Nun 2, or at least a trailer I hadn't seen before for Exorcist Believer. Mm -hmm. That one's looking really good to me. Oh, good! Now, I know it's coming from David Gordon Green, who had highs and lows with his Halloween reboot, or redo, or sequels, however you want to call them. But I'm thinking Exorcist, when we revisit that donation series, we did the Exorcist movie so long ago as a donation drive, we're going to be adding to it with The Exorcist, and I'm I've got high hopes for this one. I really do. I am hoping that this can be the kind of ghost possession horror I can really enjoy. Yeah, I think it will be more modern. I think that they make that clear. It's going to have some classic elements, but be in a Blumhouse mode. And 
Yeah, can they make a good Exorcist sequel that has remained quite elusive? But uh, I look forward to returning the franchise and, and fingers crossed, hope for the best to get the second best Exorcist movie we've ever gotten. I don't think they'll best Friedkin, but yeah, it could be good. And I'm looking forward to the new Saw film, you know, as a complete change of pace from horror from The Nun. I gotta say, it's a breath of fresh air. I'm revisiting all nine Saw films before going into Saw 10, and I'm just enjoying being bathed in blood and pig guts before going to Saw 10 as a antithesis to everything The Nun 2 had to offer. <laughs> Yeah, definitely a different style of horror. Marjorie, you'll be back for that one in a couple weeks. But we're going to keep the horror vibe going here on Tuesdays. It is getting around that season. We're approaching Halloween. And so the spirit Halloween stores are open. So it's time for us to do some <laughs> horror, too. Yeah, yeah. So we've had a, a patron request. Someone paid money for us to review the 1976 classic Town That Dreaded Sundown. And because that had a sequel, we're going to just do that for the next two weeks. Next Tuesday, we get the 76 movie, which I have never seen before, truth be told. Looking forward to catching up on one I missed. And then the week after, we're going to see the Screamified sequel that came like 40 years later. And for something completely different, if horror's not your thing but action is, our Platinum Donation Drive is going on now. We did Expendables last Friday. And this Friday, of course, makes sense that we would be doing Expendables 2. This is a way you can help keep our podcast going and get bonus podcasts. If you donate for Platinum, you're going to hear all of the shark movies we reviewed all summer, the Piranha series, and now the Expendables series. And if you go a little higher, you can still get reviews of the Evil Dead podcasts with Evil Dead Rise and the Indiana Jones podcast, thanks to Dial of Destiny. Just a couple weeks left in this donation drive before we kick off our fall-winter donation drive, which I'm really excited to announce during Expendables 4. But you can hear Expendables 2 this Friday. Details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And a huge thank you to everyone who supports our show, patrons and donors. Thank you so much for allowing us to keep doing the show we love to do, even when it's a movie like The Nun 2. Here, here. Love you guys. And Marjorie Stewart, usually I say at the end of these podcasts, it's over, but it's The Conjuring series. It's never over. <laughs> You survived. You don't come out the other side of something like this weaker. What is there left to be scared of? I was there. Whatever happened that day, that was not Arnie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Pretty far out, isn't it? Yeah, it's groovy. You can hear more movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. In our archive section, you can find reviews of The Insidious Films, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Saw, and hundreds more. Look what she made me do. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Sometimes when you get haunted, it's like stepping on gum. You take it with you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. 
you can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Yo, Arnie, you want to make a quick five bucks? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. I like your dogs. Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Arnie needs to be put on a 24-hour suicide watch. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. He's here with you. He's telling you to do things. Arnie, what is it telling you to do? Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, The Saffron Company, Evergreen Media Group, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The Conjuring films are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Nobody's disputing any of them. Arnie knows that he's going to prison. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The devil is the father of lies. Demons are his manipulators. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2023, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. We have to get out of here. You did good. No, you did. And Maurice says he's been saved from the demon that possessed his soul as credits roll. Did you mean to rhyme that time? No. Okay, it was good. Whereas in the last movie, Damien Bashir had top billing. Oscar nominated too good for it. Yeah, he, they can't get him. Or maybe they want the money to go to the effects and they don't want to spend it on, yeah, Damien Bashir. What did he get the Oscar nom for? I forget the name of the movie. <laughs> very memorable performance he was a an immigrant that cared for lawns and was dodging ice i i can't remember it sorry sounds great <laughs> it's, it's amazing yes <laughs> and marjorie stewart usually i say at the end of these podcasts it's over but it's the conjuring series it's never over <laughs> i'm gonna be 80 years old and reviewing these movies right Yes. Uh, yeah, I said it's a good bet.